welcome to part one of two of the Rise of the Phoenix. Simon couldn't be further from a phoenix if he tried. A gentleman who lost it all in the 2019 bushfires and decided to travel the globe and attempt to plant his Honda Africa twin on every continent on this planet. Today he shares his history of bikes, adventures through Asia and what he has planned next. Now we don't want to go in too deep as to what happened to him in the bushfires. For that, you can head over to Vern's podcast, Moto Rides Australia, where Simon shares it all in great detail. You can find the Moto Rides Australia podcast in the links in the show notes below, along with heaps of other resources for you to click on after you've listened to this episode here on Bikes, Burgers, Beers. Anyway, good morning. Yeah, good, <laughs> good morning indeed. Not, not that there's anything necessarily good about morning, right? Like... <laughs> Definitely not. I haven't even had coffee yet, so. <laughs> Actually, that's a good idea. I don't drink coffee, but um, ah. I've got some um, stuff. <laughs> some sort of nondescript liquid. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. It doesn't have Jack Daniels in it. Well, and it's not beer. <laughs> but but if you'd like, I can make up a Jack Daniels. <laughs> Look, up to you. I mean, you know, you've you've already been awake, haven't you? You've you've just yeah finished for work. like for like yeah hours and hours. So and so for you, it is hours. kind of beer o'clock, really. But for me, I, I've, I've just woken up. So you feel free if you need to. Hey, hey look, there's, there's nothing wrong with day drinking, right? <laughs> No, it was daytime yesterday when I had a drink with Chewy, so, you know, that counts. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's daytime now as well, so, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where I wanted to start with is what? why do you love motorbikes? Ooh, well, it's an interesting question, and there's so many answers to it, but part of it, I mean, I suppose part of it is the freedom. You know, you're out there, you've got the adrenaline rush of it, um, the bugs as they splat into your visor. Why is it that you always get a bug right in front of your right eye? Is it just me? <laughs> I mean, I, always I rode, one, right? I, I rode home yesterday from having a couple of drinks with Chewy and we, we met up in the afternoon and then we rode off in the evening when there was bugs galore and I decided to wear my open face helmet yesterday because it was the first day of proper sunshine we've had. <laughs> Beautiful, warm, you know, <laughs> nice, nice breeze in the face. Going home in the evening, I copped a bug right on the lip, and not only it's like did a it, bullet. Yeah, not only did it hurt, it didn't taste very good either. No, no, because they splatter, and then you get all that yellow stuff on yeah, your teeth. Yeah, and it's like it's really bitter. Yeah. Probably better deep fried, I guess. I mean that's possible. the The other reason, uh, the other reason they really like motorbikes is, having been a police officer, I got to drive around in police cars with lights and sirens on, and that's a great adrenaline rush. But of course, no longer being a police officer, I don't get to do that. I mean, I remember once I was actually the offside of the passenger in the uh, police car, and we did a forty five minute long blue light run. And in the end, we didn't find what we were trying to find, which was somebody who was getting away somewhere, you know, like we did our best. But um, so we decided to shut it all down, stop the car and get out. And both of us fell out of the car 
because your adrenaline's been pumping for so long that basically your legs and arms don't work properly. (laughs) Not a good thing if you're on a motorbike to have that. But, but, um, but yeah, like, I mean, I suppose some of it comes down to when you're riding a motorbike and you don't even have to be speeding. Mm. You can just be going along doing a hundred in a hundred zone. But when you come up to one of those bends that says 35 and you go around that at 95, it feels like you're in a police car because you're laying right over. And, you know, on a bike like mine, laying right over feels really weird because it's, (laughs) you know, but it's, it's that adrenaline spike that you get right there from doing things like that. And I suppose that's the draw of the motorbike really yeah. isn't it you know it's the adrenaline it's the and and as i say to people i've said this to a couple of people and i had someone write it down it was actually an insurance assessor I said i want to write that down that's really good driving a car is like watching a movie at the cinema widescreen it's great driving a car is awesome riding a motorbike is like being in the movie yeah Plain massive, and simple. Absolutely. Massive difference. So mm. where, where did where did the passion all begin? Were you uh, <laughs> early in the motorbikes as a kid or did it come on later in life or was it something you always dreamt about doing and then picked up later? <laughs> all of the above. No. Um, <laughs> so, look, I, I had a, a dirt bike on the farm when I was growing up but I never really sort of wanted to get into road bikes. You know, I buzzed around on the property, you know, at like 11 or 12 years old uh, on things that just makes me look now and think, how did I not die? Oh, sorry. How did I not die? You can bleep that later if you I have to, I can bleep it, but I, sometimes I don't. And I just put like a little, um, for the podcast, it does have a little thing where I can put explicit content. And I usually put a warning in the intro because I know some... Some folks listen to it in the car while driving their kids to school or something. <laughs> and I just say, maybe listen to this episode later when you're on your own or, you know. Oh, that, but, I, I think maybe just bleeping it. Yeah. I'll try not to do but that. But no, yet. you go for it. You go for yeah. your life. Um, I, I kind of look and I think, how did I survive my childhood, you know, <laughs> some of the stuff we played with. But realistically, like the first actual road bike that I got was when I was living in Southeast Asia. And I mean, I've lived on three continents and I've done a bit of everything and yeah, I'm weird. I'm, I'm like an onion. There's many layers, some of which will make you cry, but I had a Honda NSR 150 SP, which was the two stroke, absolute batshit crazy bike. It came straight off the Thai racing circuit and all they did was put lights and stuff on it. So literally it was like sitting on something about a third of the height of my bike, basically with your knees up in your ears and your elbows trying to get around your knees because they're in your ears and basically racing along, just going absolutely crazy on this thing. Like it's when I was down at the National Motorcycle Museum in Nabiak, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen that episode or not, but I actually showed one of those bikes because I found one. And I was like, I haven't seen one in years. Last one I saw was when I was living in Alice Springs and I tried to find the owner so I could see if they want to sell it. (laughs) Anyway, um, and 
two or three bikes up from it was this big BMW 650cc BMW road bike, you know, like an old school 1980s sort of or 1970s or, you know, big old road bike. And the 150 had almost twice the horsepower of it. Of course, because it's two stroke, but like, I mean, I stopped accelerating on mine. I don't know what its top speed actually was. I stopped accelerating when I was trying to peel the helmet off my head and thought, yeah, that's fast enough. That was probably around 170 or something like it just, it scared the crap out of me. Um, Especially when you're in Southeast Asia and chickens and goats and cows and everything can run out in front of you, Mm. you know, but I then got out of bikes when I went to live in the uk i didn't even consider getting one right i probably should have i would have had more fun with it there there's some truly awesome roads to ride in the uk and and in summertime when it's light from like four in the morning to 10 at night the roads like being a police officer in summertime was good too because there was very few hours of dark for people to hide from you in (laughs) but but of course the problem was you're driving around on these country roads uh, with all the lights going and because it's 10 o'clock at night you're not blaring all the sirens you come around a corner and there's three motorcycles like skimming the lines in the middle of the road and it's like oh wow i've yeah. got to move because yeah, if wow. i kill them that looks really bad on my record <laughs> <laughs> and then i basically kind of got back into bikes when i was living in alice springs because okay. petrol over there was like a dollar 95 a liter just like it is here Just in like Grafton right, right now. now. Yeah, yeah. in Grafton, say. it's actually a $1.96.7 in Grafton right at the yeah. moment. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Grafton's one of those places where, for no apparent reason, it's just more expensive than everywhere around us. Well, I, I feel the same because up here in the Blue Mountains, it is always 10 cents more expensive than everywhere else. Hmm. Well, I was, I was over in Armadale the other day, and it was 10 cents a litre or... 11 cents a litre cheaper in Armadale than in Grafton. Yeah. And I know there's a lot more petrol tankers going up and down the Pacific motorway just over here than there is on the, you know, inland road. But apparently down in Tamworth, it's 10 cents a litre cheaper than Armadale. Wow. So that's 20 cents a litre cheaper than Grafton. Like, mm. why? Mm. Um, and yeah, Grafton's not like it's removed from anything. That's right. Anyway, so I got back into bikes there because cheap to run. And I I had to go and get my Australian motorbike license because what I previously had wasn't valid, with air <laughs> quotes. And, and so I bought a Honda CBR250R and I bought a special edition one. There was like two of them in the Northern Territory. Right. Uh, bought this thing brand new was my pride and joy and um and people kept saying why didn't you buy a 500 mm. but in the northern territory a 250 cc bike costs you 350 bucks a year to register when i came to new south wales it cost me less to register the same bike in new south wales and new south wales is by no means cheap for registration but see if you go to 250 cc for 350 bucks a 500 cc It'll cost you $700. Wow. Try registering something, say, I don't know, a 12, 13, 1400 cc bike. Don't pay your mortgage for a couple of months. Wow. And there's a a really good reason for it, though. Problem is, is in the Northern Territory, they've got these really long straight roads 
And you get all the idiots out there with their super bikes, you know, the Ducatis and stuff like that. Yeah. Not saying that everybody's an idiot when they've got super bikes, but what they do is they get out on these big, long, straight roads. And I remember there's one road there that I traveled a lot, or one part of the Stuart Highway that I traveled a lot. There's an overtaking section of that road that is 40 kilometers long. Wow. I mean, you know, you can't see 40 kilometers no. in front of you. But what happens is the idiots get out there on their super bikes or in their supercars and they go to one end of that and they floor it and see just how fast they can go before the slight bend at the end. And the problem is, is that if you're doing like 290 kilometers an hour on your, you know, Ducati super bike thing or whatever, and you hit a rock that's the size of a golf ball, you're dead. Yeah. And the police then have to spend the next three weeks picking up bits of you that are spread out over about three or four kilometers stretch of road. But but it's not just the golf ball size rocks. And like I mean, there's plenty of that out there because a road train will turn onto the onto the Stuart Highway from one of those roads and drop chunks of mud and rock and stuff that have been stuck in the dual wheels. But there's obviously rabbits, kangaroos, emus, camels, donkeys, goats. There is everything out there that's trying to kill you when you're on that road. And also the road trains, they're trying to kill you as well because yeah. that's what truck drivers do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose it's probably worth explaining to your listeners that currently I'm a truck driver. <laughs> so you're more qualified than anyone else right now to confirm Yeah, that. that's or that's deny. right, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. I'll plead the fifth, but we don't have that here. Um, but, but see, I mean, it's that's why Motorcycle League is, is so expensive to register in, in uh, the Northern Territory. Yeah, wow. But when I came over here, when I got my 500cc... Uh, I went from the CBR250R and I bought the CB500X and that was an absolutely brilliant bike. And the 500X here cost me only slightly more to register than the 250 in the Northern Territory. Wow. And the 500X, absolutely brilliant bike. I'd done about 56,000 kilometers on it prior to the bushfires and obviously it went up in flames. So... And I don't know if you want to explain that to your listeners or anything like that, or if you want me to tell you anything about it, but I'm sure you've got more questions to ask. I I do. I I did want to talk a bit about that. I know you were on Motor Rides Australia and you spoke a lot about the story behind that. Mm. So I don't. You could put a link to his podcast. I could put a link to his podcast. Absolutely. (laughs) So, listeners, if you are listening, you want to hear the full story because I will let you share some of it, but. You want to hear the full story? Simon goes into great detail about what happened there with the bushfires and everything on Vern's podcast called Moto Rides Australia, and uh, I'll put a link there below to that episode. So, but um, I do have some other questions. While we're still talking about motorbikes, though, uh, what was your most memorable bike you've had so far? <laughs> All of them. All of um, them. <laughs> now, look. Well, actually, it's strange because, like, after the 500X, I actually then went and I got the NC750X, and I had Mm -hmm. that for three months. Okay. And it had done 3,020 kilometers when it got crushed by a runaway car in the driveway. My insurance company did not like me, having just then paid out for two 
complete bikes. <laughs> but, but to be honest, probably the most memorable bike is it's probably a toss-up between the Africa Twin and the NSR. Okay. Because the NSR, the unfortunate thing about the NSR is they're very uncomfortable to ride because yeah. it's such an aggressive riding position that you're hugging the tank the whole time, which means you end up with a sore neck because you're craning your head back yeah. and you end up with a sore lower back because mm. you're basically laying flat on the bike, but with your legs tucked up under you. And so you couldn't really ride more than about 40 kilometers without stopping yeah. and spending 10 minutes on the side of the road to straighten your back out again so you could ride the next 40. And by the end of riding, like, say, a 250-kilometer ride or something, you just called it a day and just, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it was memorable, but it was a great bike. But, yeah, yeah not, not, a, not a long-distance bike. And that's where the Africa Twin is brilliant for that. Yeah. I mean, it's an awesome bike for a longer distance ride. Absolutely. So I'd say it's the most memorable, basically, because I've probably done the most with it. So that's what's your that's what your current bike is. It's the Africa Twin, isn't it? Yeah. And what? Why did you choose that bike? Say over like another, you know, um, five hundred or something like that. Um, well, it's funny. I I did consider getting the newer uh cb 500x but i wanted to go just up that little step which is when i looked at the nc 750x and after it got met its untimely demise i rang the dealer who i bought it from and i said can you get me another one in safety black because you know safety black for bikes is is awesome yeah. doesn't matter what you what color your bike is nobody sees it no look i i have this little theory based on my experience alone so it's very scientific oh, of course it doesn't matter how loud your exhaust is mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what color your bike is mm -hmm. the other person who is likely going to hit you is not going to see you or hear you anyway yeah. and and that's purely based off the close calls i've had on my harley which is obviously not loud. a silent motorcycle at all. <laughs> it's it's, it's loud. a Harley. It's, it's a Harley. Loud. <laughs> you know, um, I, I've had a major accident, which I've I've talked about in detail in my first two episodes of the podcast way back in season one. Uh, I had you know a ZX6R bright fluoro green with a Yoshimura full race system, uh, road legal of course, and uh, <laughs> you know still got hit. So yeah. For, for me, I just I don't think loud pipes save lives. I think driver education mm. saves lives, and I think our, actually that's our, a good point. Yeah, and I think our licensing here for cars is weak because mm. every other vehicle on the road, you have to go through training, compulsory training. You have to go through stringent testing to finally mm. get your driver's license, be it a motorcycle a bus, a truck, a small truck, large truck, it doesn't matter. And the only mm. licensing, and, and I know a lot of people who will drive cars will, will contest this because I think it's hard enough as it is doing the log books and the hours. The reality is that it, it's absolute garbage. I think, I think car, like motor vehicle, small vehicle, car licensing is a complete farce. And I think mm. it's the only one that doesn't have compulsory driver education and training. Mm. They should be sending everyone out for a weekend course, just like Stay Upright, but for cars mm. to do that. I've, but anyway, I've I, got I a don't... twist off on that yeah. for you. So in the UK, um, 
I think at 15 years old, a kid can go out and get their moped license. That's right, yeah. Now, the moped is limited to, you know, very small CC, very small. Uh, it's it's very speed limited. Mm. It will basically do the town limits yes. and not a great deal more. But what happens is the kid can get, get his moped license and ride to and from school mm. and their after hours, you know, after school job or whatever. Yeah. And then when they get their car license, they're very, very aware That's right. of motorcycles yeah. because they've had near misses several times. Was that coffee? <laughs> no, that was that was Janine holding up the empty coffee bags and said, I'll go and get coffee. Because <laughs> I was going to do it later this afternoon. But uh, she said, um, I'll do it. And I went, yes. <laughs> so, so basically, um, you know, all these kids get their license. They're far more motorcycle aware. Yeah. And I honestly think that would be a good thing here. Allow a kid at 15 to have a moped. They're not allowed to go outside of the town limits. Let's yeah. put a limit on it and say, yeah. you're not allowed outside the town limits. You can use it in and around town. You're not allowed on country roads. You're not allowed on motorways, nothing like that. Because just being around town, they'll realize how vulnerable it is being yeah, on a motorcycle. Absolutely. And they come out as a better driver yeah. from learning that. The other thing that I'd like to see is maybe they get to spend a day or two with a truck driver to see what it's like when somebody pulls in front of a 65-ton B-double as it's trying to stop to the traffic lights. That's right. Coming down a hill. Yeah. And this person goes roaring up the side of you. You're trying to position yourself to be able to turn right by taking up two lanes. Mm -hmm. They find their way around the left side of you because there's a left turn lane and then pull in in front of you and slam on the brakes. And you're coming in with 65 ton on board. Yeah. And it's like, and they wonder why you hit them. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I, I see it all the time going up and down the Great Western Highway in the Blue Mountains. Mm. Obviously, we're a main arterial road here for trucks going from Sydney out, out west to Bathurst and so on. Mm. And coming up to a set of lights, you know, I, I've seen it all the time where a car, a truck will be in the left-hand lane and a car will overtake it on the right, but then cut it off and jump into mm. the left lane in front of the truck and everyone and all you hear is everything locking up yeah, on the truck because you can see the red light up ahead and i just think man you've given that guy no space at all mm. you know and uh, you know as we as all of us really know one meter can can mean the difference between an accident or not and, and yeah. it can also mean the difference between life or death or not either so yeah something that um you know that always sort of runs in my mind is I had a big truck accident a couple of years ago and I was driving an empty B-double set of fridge vans because that's what I do is refrigerated food and an empty set of fridge vans because obviously they got whopping great big motors off them and fuel tanks off every trailer and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Empty set of fridge vans and a prime mover B-double is 34 ton empty. Yeah. And I was going up the Pacific motorway near Ballina and I was overtaking a truck a third the size of mine on a bend on a bridge at 100 kilometers an hour. I see a little bit of debris on the road and I slam on the brakes 
and I slid straight through an upside down car that was stationary in the middle of the motorway. Nobody, you know, like, I mean, how hard is it to get your phone and, you know, like just flag people down with a flashlight, you know? Yeah. Sorry, that's probably blinding for you at this time of nah. morning. Oh, all um, good. All good. <laughs> but, but like nobody doing anything about it. And I punted that car a good 50 metres, but I left skid marks 100 metres long. Yeah. And the cops turned up and they breath tested me and I said, do you need to do drug tests or anything? Do you want to ask me any questions? He looked at me and he said, you know, I obviously passed the breath test because it's 0.0. I said, do you have any questions or anything? And he goes, no, dude, I can see you tried to stop for like 150 metres or whatever it was, you know. I know you tried to stop. He said, but you kept it remarkably straight. I'm impressed (laughs) by that. Um, You know, people don't realise the destructive capacity of one of these things. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. What what gets me really with it is when you get people who are overtaking you, doing a half a kilometre an hour more than you, and they spend five minutes sitting beside a set of, you know, like six tyres, whirring away at 100 kilometres an hour. Yeah. What they don't realise is if one of those tyres decides to burst, if it's one of the outside ones, it will go straight through the door of their car and probably kill them. And I even see motorcyclists do it. I come up behind a B-double, I'll pull out, I'll make sure the driver's seen me, and I will hit 130 or 140 and get past him as quick as I can Mm. to pull back in and back it back off again. Absolutely. I don't give a damn if a cop says, but you were speeding. Yeah. I'd then go, your honour, because I'd take it to court. Your Honour, as a truck driver and an ex-police officer, I've seen exactly what happens when a 200-kilogram tyre explodes. And I want no part of that. I don't want to be anywhere near it. If you want to take my licence off me for speeding, that's fine. But I'll tell you what, I'm trying to save my own life by keeping away from things that can kill me. Absolutely. Anyway, that's a whole other story. It did. We digressed quite a fair bit from loud pipes and all that stuff. Hey, we're doing well. Well, look, I think think our listeners probably enjoyed that story nonetheless, and I think a lot of them probably agree with that, you know, overtaking and things like that but maybe maybe not hit 130 140 well, but, you know i mean you can hit 100 and... yeah yeah you can over <laughs> but you can overtake quick ish yes you can ish yeah, with air that's quotes right. yeah yes. <laughs> um but... so you've got the africa twin what yes. are your what are your plans now for this and i i, I kind of <laughs> um I, i'm hoping that we also talk about you know um you know why why you've decided to do what you're planning on doing which you have shared with me privately mm-hmm. but i want our listeners to know because i think this sounds like an absolutely amazing adventure of a lifetime all righty folks we've come to that point in the show today where we're going to take a short break to hear from our show sponsors please stay tuned and remember those discount codes still apply so make sure you use them time to get myself a new jacket and a matching pair of gloves with the discount code over at Johnny Reb, our show sponsor, it makes it really affordable. And I have to say, damn, I look good in some Johnny Reb gear. All I have to do is enter the code BIKES15 at checkout over at johnnyreb.com.au. That's B-I-K-E-S-1-5. And I instantly get 15% off all my purchases. And to top it off, if I spend over $49, they give me free shipping. That's easy johnnyreb.com.au Oh yeah! Riding your bike? Thirsty work? Mowing the lawn? 
thirsty work? You deserve a refreshing drink. My top beer, the Nectar of the Hops from Willie the Boatman, is rated number 99 in the top beers of Australia. Well, it's number one in my household, and just to make it sweeter, Willie the Boatman are offering you 20% off all their purchases on their website. All you gotta do is enter the code hashtag bikesburgersbeers at checkout on willytheboatman.com and you get beer delivered to your door. Nothing like cracking open a cold one after wrestling with the lawnmower. Still thirsty? Nah, not anymore. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, back to the show. So, okay. you've got the Africa twin. What are you going to do with it? Okay, so, um, very quick version of why I am where I am. I lost everything in the 2019 bushfires in November 2019. And when I say everything, I mean everything except my work uniform that I was wearing, whatever was in my backpack and my 32-year-old four-wheel drive that I drove to work. Everything else was wiped completely off the face of the earth. Nothing that was recoverable. Oh, I did get my bonsai back. Oh, nice. Um, and, and strangely, my bonsai sprouted new bits and came back okay. to life. I mean, it had been through the mother of all bushfires, but the amount of things that I could recognise on my property fitted in my brother's wheelbarrow and didn't even wow. fill it. Wow. I mean, we're talking a couple of camp ovens and a couple of other things that, you know, were easy enough for me to find because I knew approximately where they were. So it put me in a position of, I generally speaking, don't have a lot of clutter and a lot of crap. And um, I've now sold off my property and taken the money from that and put it away. And I mean, as you well know, my logo for my channel, did you notice I'm wearing my new channel shirt? Yeah, yeah. I'm not wearing mine, but I'm, I'm representing rob from yes. total down under so uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you should see the back of this though oh that looks awesome mm-hmm. so are yeah they, are, are these available for sale for our listeners not yet oh, not but they yet. will be maybe okay. <laughs> i've just got to work it out how to do it all yeah because as i was explaining to somebody part of the problem with that is i can't go and buy a heap of stock and have it somewhere and have someone post it out when people order it yeah because how can i control that Unless yeah. I'm paying somebody as an employee and I make no money whatsoever from my YouTube stuff. So, you know, th- that's not feasible, mm. but we'll come back to that at no some worries. point. So the plan is, and the plan has been since I went through the bushfires, I got it into my head. What am I doing with my life? I've spent my whole life working to do something, working to get somewhere stuck in you know this hamster wheel that or the rat race or whatever you want to call it and i've never been you know the whole i've got to be better than the joneses type person i've never been interested in that um i've always kind of run my own race but i came to this conclusion that life can be snuffed out in an instant you can work your whole life and have a house a car and all of that sort of stuff and through no fault of your own, it's gone. Yeah. So, you know, if if I hadn't been going to work the night of the bushfires, I probably would have stayed awake till midday. And people say, didn't you see smoke in the sky? It had been, there'd been bushfires burning around my area for like three months prior to the 
fire that wiped out my property. So there'd been smoke and the smell of smoke for three months. You you just kind of get blase to it. Anyway, I would have probably stayed awake till about midday and then gone to bed and passed out and that would have been it. Yeah. Because the fire came through at seven o'clock at night and being that I work nights, I would have been asleep because I would have stayed awake as long as I could during the daytime to do some things and then just gone to bed. And the only thing I probably would have known was waking up trying to breathe and not being able to breathe. And that's by that yeah. point, it's too late. That's right. Somebody said to me, you know, oh, yeah, but I'd drive the car out. It's like, if you can't breathe, yeah. your car can't breathe. That's right. And it takes a lot more oxygen to run than you do. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I basically came to the conclusion that, you know, like, I mean, what am I doing? Where am I going? What am I trying to do? And I thought, no, I want to do something completely different. I, I've been given the opportunity to kickstart my life in a different direction. And so um, basically, come March, my plan is I'm leaving my job. I, I did mention that I uh, had taken a three-month unpaid leave. Um, and my boss came back and said, oh, no, we can't do that. So basically, I'm just leaving. <laughs> it's like, I, to be honest, I don't like my job. It's boring. Like, it's very boring and very lonely. Like, yeah. you don't get to talk to people. Can you tell I like talking? <laughs> That's fine. It's, you're the perfect guest for the podcast. Like, like many of my guests that, that always seem to um, apologize for talking too much. And I say, why? That's the yeah, reason. That's, that's what we that's want. That's why you, you know, like, otherwise this is a silent movie without the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's it, exactly. So I didn't need to do my hair, did I? Not, not um, at all. Not, I mean, between, not that I did. No, well, I mean, I don't even have any, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. well, you got plenty on your face. So, I just, you know. I try to balance it out. Mm, mm, that's it, yeah. So basically, um, starting in March, I'm starting off by going down to Tasmania. It's the only state in the country that I haven't been to. Right. And I kind of figure, you know, like if I go down in March, it's not yet freezing cold. Yeah. After a couple of weeks in Tasmania, of my, in fact, my next door neighbors uh, from out on the property now live there. They sold their property as well. They lost their house and whatever. And um, they moved to Tasmania and bought a house down there. So I've got a bit of a base to work from, which is great. When I come back from there, my plan is to hopefully go along the south coast. If somehow or another I can manage to get myself into Western Australia, I've, I've come up with a thought on that, actually. I don't know exactly where they've cut the border off and whether there's a petrol station on the South Australian side or the West Australian side. Mm-hmm. But you ride to the border and they say, no, you can't come through. You say, I don't have enough petrol to get back to where I came from, mate. What are you going to do? Leave me here to die? <laughs> or are you going to let me through to get petrol? Yeah. Um, and then do could, the you imagine, <laughs> could, could you imagine that one in the, in the, you know, in the national press, though? Motorcyclist refused entry to Western Australia to even get petrol so that he could leave the border zone. Yeah. I mean, if I sit at the border for two weeks not talking to anyone, does that mean they're self-isolated and I can go through? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Set up um, your tent. <laughs> no, 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 hammock. hammock sorry, <laughs> I just yeah. hang it off the back of a police car. It'll be fine. 
Anyway, so hopefully then, if I can get into Western Australia, continue the South Coast, and then all the way up the West Coast, um, across through to Darwin, I want to go down and visit my old next-door neighbour from uh, Alice Springs, because, um, you know, nice thing to do. And then, basically, I'm going to meander my way back across to the East Coast. But at that point, then, I'll be starting to look at what part of the country I need to be in to get my bike shipped out. Yep. Now, either by boat or by air, I don't care which, whatever's going to be cheapest and easiest, I'm looking at getting the bike and myself to either Singapore, Malaysia or Thailand. Singapore's probably going to be very expensive because that's just Singapore. Mm-hmm. So probably in reality, it'll be Malaysia or Thailand. Yeah. Um, and whichever one it's in, you know, I'll go through the other country anyway. And then the plan is to do all of Southeast Asia. And, you know, I, like I spent five years living there. I know people in a couple yeah. of countries. I know a lot of places to visit, a lot of places to do video stuff for my YouTube. And and I really like the idea of being able to share that with everyone. You know, I mean, when I was living in Southeast Asia, I went to places that foreigners can't get to because I knew people. Yeah. And I would love to be able to actually get back into these places so I can share that with the world. Not necessarily all of it. Some of it, like I went to a cave that had been um, excavated and dug back out again. The cave had... I can't remember the exact number, but it was over 100 people had run in there to avoid bombings by the US Air Force uh, because they were dropping bombs all over this part of Laos Mm. on their way back from Vietnam because the Ho Chi Minh Trail runs through part of Laos. And so they were dropping bombs and all of these civilians, you know, rice paddy farmers and stuff like that, ran to this cave to avoid the bombing and a bomb hit the front of the cave and collapsed it. And I went to that cave on, what was it, the 25th or 27th or something like that anniversary of the day this cave was collapsed. And they'd spent something like 18 months excavating it, building a a stupa out the front, which would contain the bones of the people, the remains that they found inside. And they were having a ceremony there with, um, you know, like, probably a hundred Buddhist monks there and all the dignitaries and whatever. And, um, well, I happened to be in the right position to get into there. And I went there and I went there. I was a teacher while I was living in Laos and I actually ran a school, ran a college. And I went into this cave with a couple of my students. We got all the way to the back of the cave and they're like, this angered me, you know, like teacher, this is really spooky. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you know, all the hairs on on my skin are standing on end. This cave was really spooky. And all the lights, there was a string of lights, you know, about every 20 metres there was a light and it was running from a generator outside and they started to pulse and flicker. Oh. And I thought, oh, the generator must be running out of fuel. And I just looked at my students and said, let's go. And they went, yes, sir. And we all (laughs) trotted on out of there as quickly as we could. There was nothing wrong with the generator, but yeah, the lights were flickering and we just decided we were leaving because it was creepy as, you know. That's a sure enough sign as any to 
Yeah, yeah, that's it. Time <laughs> to go. Be like for the exit. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. But like, I went to places like this, and I saw things like that, and I would really love to be able to take, you know, the subscribers of my channel on that journey to see these sorts of places, to learn the history of them. And, you know, you've watched my videos. You've seen, like, I'll go to a place and I'll dig up some of the history of it. Not necessarily all of it because no. realistically, people need to do a bit of their own research as well. Like, I mean, I can't sit there and give somebody the entire history of World War II just to tell them why there's a gun pointed in one direction in Newcastle. Yeah. I'll tell them that the gun's there. I'll tell them what the gun was part of, and I'll tell them who used the gun. But realistically, the rest of it comes down to, you know, if people are interested, they'll look it up. Yeah. Because obviously the the details that I'm giving are either things that I already know or things that I've looked up to share. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, I really want to be able to take people along on a journey. Mm. And, I mean, my plan is to visit all seven continents. And I know that sounds really, really big and really, really scary. And to be honest, it scares the absolute bejesus out of me, especially when I start thinking, well, money won't last long enough to get all the way around there. However, you know, hopefully things will work out and it will just happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe when I'm starting to travel around in places like deepest, darkest Southeast Asia, people will really go, holy cow, this guy's going to some strange places. Mm. You know, let's watch this. I mean, you watch Itchy Boots and you look and she's did a safari while she's in somewhere in Southern Africa yeah. um, on her bike. She's a Polish-Australian. You see her stuff? Yeah, absolutely. She's actually really kind of cool. Yeah, she, she just did, did a safari. So, yeah. so here's one for you. I'm going to do a safari in Sydney on March the 6th. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I should say any more about what that safari is. Uh, maybe, maybe we should leave that one so people can go and check it out on your channel. Yeah, people can go and uh, check out. The, I mean, the, I, I myself am video curious. <laughs> I'm automatically just thinking of like you know you're just heading down into Sydney and people watching really because that can be very interesting and scary well, part at the of same it's time. People watching, you know, don't part don't feed the monkeys. Don't feed the monkeys. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, Sorry, Sydney well, folk. I love you. <laughs> yeah, he's from the Blue Mountains. He doesn't don't come, really. Don't come up here. It's too far away. <laughs> but, um, but yeah you know like my plan is to actually do a safari in sydney on march the 6th yeah, okay. so the video will come out sometime after that of but um but that will probably be the opening of or the grand opening of season two of the rise of the phoenix tour okay and season two will include the trip down to and into tasmania and yep. Potentially the rest of the continent. Amazing. I don't know if I don't know if I want to break that up into more seasons. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just did season one point five, the mini series. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, speaking of itchy boots, mm. she tends to separate her seasons into, you know, the main things that she's doing, main continents that she's visiting, mm. but also I noticed or the goal of that that particular trip. I was going to yeah. say that the you know even even before she went to Africa. She did that little smaller season where she did, you know, motorcycle rider training with the uh, with her police force in her country. Mm. She did the off-road riding courses, and I really enjoyed those videos too because 
I don't follow her too much, so I didn't know what her exact plans were. But I remember mm. watching those videos, thinking, "Oh, you've got something. You've got something boiling under there. Like there's, you know, this isn't just someone creating content for the sake of it and going and doing a, a writing course." Mm. I thought you've got you got something that you've got big planned, yeah. especially when she did You're the doing it for a writing course. Yeah, doing it for yeah. a reason. So. Yeah, cur- curious to see some of your next uh, next series as well. <laughs> but I was going to ask, what made you decide to do all this? I know you touched on uh, your experiences from the past with the bushfire and losing everything, but mm-hmm. with with the YouTube channel and you know, like like you said, you want to uh, share some of these places with your viewers. Mm. But what made you decide from the get go to go right? I'm going to set up a YouTube channel. <laughs> well, I mean. In in some ways, I've been very lucky in my life. I've lived on three continents, you know, and, and we're not talking about spending six months living in England, for instance. I spent five years there. I spent five years in Southeast Asia. I've spent five years in Central Australia living amongst and working with the Aboriginal people out there, travelling in and out of the remote communities, driving buses out there. That was a whole eye-opener. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, a big part of it is I've always wanted to be able to share the the weird stuff that I've done. I mean, I've I've actually had lunch with a crown prince. I've drunk whiskey with a prime minister. I have been out drinking whiskey in nightclubs with the nephew of a president. I've driven a president's car. <laughs> wow. Like their personal private car. Um, and we're not talking about presidents of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> so a much more prestigious country is what you're saying. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Oh, no comment. <laughs> See, I, but, it's my podcast. I can say what I want. You can say things like that. That's it. But, but like, you know, I look at I'll that I'll probably think, edit all of that out. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Exactly. I just kind of look at it and I think I've had a really weird life. I've been and I've done some really weird things. What's the bet that if I go out there with a specific intention of I'm going to record this stuff on video, I can't get back into doing lots of really weird things. I mean, look, I I do suffer from social anxiety. That can be an issue for me. When I get a goal in my mind of I'm going to do that, I will do it. I will make it happen. You know, and I have always tried to push myself beyond um, what my brain says that I can do. And like, you know, I remember people saying the usual shit they say to kids, you won't amount to anything. I left school two weeks into year 10. And yet I've run a school. I've been a police officer. I've done all sorts of stuff so i've never let anything stop me or hold me back yeah and i plan on using that drive to keep growing my youtube channel and hopefully as the channel gets bigger when it gets to the point where you know i can have the community page and and have maybe subscribers and whatever that sort of thing that you know the the membership of the channel and that sort of thing I might turn around and say, look, I'm going to be in Thailand for the next four weeks. Tell me what you want to see 
and experience in Thailand. Realistically, if, if for instance, you've got agoraphobia, so you can't go outside, um, or if you could go outside, you've got severe social anxiety, so you can't really interact with people, what's the bet? You could watch my channel and live vicariously through that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I kind of love the idea of I'm prepared to push myself beyond my own limits. I have no problem with that. But I kind of like the idea of maybe somewhere, some way, somehow, that might help somebody else, you know. And if I can help somebody else to, I don't know, live, be courageous and go out and, I mean, I've got a whole new thing that's going to appear in my next series of videos, so I'm not going to tell you about it. But I, I want to, I hope to inspire people to get out there and do what they can within their own sphere of influence. They may not be able to go out and get an Africa twin and ride around on seven continents. Well, I doubt I'll be able to ride it on Antarctica, but you know what I mean? They may not be able to ride around the planet. Yeah. They may not even want to. But adventure can be just going to the shops in a different town yeah, and a different shop, can't it? You know, adventures, whatever you make of it, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and it doesn't matter what you ride or what you don't ride. You can have an adventure on a bicycle or a skateboard or a Harley. Yeah, or walking. Or walking. Yeah. You know, and you don't need an ADV, in air quotes, bike. Yeah. Because realistically, most of the stuff I've done so far has been on tarmac roads. I could have done that with the CBR. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got the Africa Twin because I don't want to just stick to tarmac roads. but And it gives you, I guess, the flexibility of being able to, you know, wherever you are in the world, whether it's Australia or somewhere overseas, you'll have that ability to go, I wonder where that goes. Or you know yeah. where it goes and you'll know that you can confidently get up it with a capable motorcycle, whereas if you're on a CBR 250 or a <laughs> yeah, yeah. NS125, you, you're going to see that dirt rocky road and probably go, ah, oh, no, I might, I might go get a four-wheel drive for that or something. Yeah, but that's it. I guess the Africa Twin just gives you that flexibility to do what yeah. you like. And what's one of the same reasons I got the Himalayan, the Royal Enfield Himalayan, is to... Mm. Yeah, when are you coming you know, up to go for a ride with me? We've got to do that soon, absolutely. And mm. um, I do have some plans that are starting to set in concrete, so... I'll uh, I'll let you know. Hopefully it okay. works. Hopefully it seems to work in line with what your plans are for doing your round the trip, round Australia trip. So, oh, you might just have to come down to Tasmania with me then. Well, that'll be my seventh time in Tasmania then. So that's fine. <laughs> oh no, I still haven't seen all of it because well, every time I've gone to Tasmania, I've obviously gone the main highway because there's only really one apart from the one that just goes straight up and down from mm. Hobart to Launceston, but yeah, there Every is time. actually a straight road yeah. that does that, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Everything else is windy and that's right you know. and beautiful. But I've i every time I've gone, I have always found dirt roads or some some other way, and and you know gone off the beaten track. And and one of the things I love about Tasmania and and talking about adventure, I remember one of the most memorable things I did was I found a dirt road, I travelled up it. I went across this really old wooden rickety bridge, which was very questionable. Uh, but but I bet you didn't question it at the time. I know I questioned it at the time. And <laughs> what made it worse was that 
it there was some power lines going overhead and i think they interfered with the immobilizer and i got stuck on the bridge <laughs> anyway i got started i kept going and 20 k's later i end up at this house and this old lady comes out and i said oh sorry i didn't realize this is a private driveway my apologies she went no that's okay she said you want a cup of tea i said oh okay so sat down with her had a cup of tea and i said you know what do you what do you do out here because it's beautiful out here and she said oh i just make jams and preserves <laughs> i was telling chewy this story last night actually um <laughs> and and she said you know i just make these jams and preserves and all that and i said oh okay like just for yourself and she went i'll come have a look and she opened up her shed which looked like it was you know when you see old wooden fences that are gray and falling apart and got holes in them and it looked like one of those, you know. It was it was a shed made out of old fence palings and she opened the door and we walked inside and there was thousands of jars of preserves, jams, you name it. It was all there, marmalades. I said, what do you do with all this? And she said, oh, I've got a website. I sell these. And she was like this 80-year-old woman who sits at a computer every morning, checks her emails and goes, oh, someone's put an order in, you know, and she packs them into little boxes and puts bubble wrap around them. Oh, love it. And I thought I would have never found that if I just went past that dirt road and thought, oh, that's probably just some little dirt road. Don't worry about it and keep going. So Tasmania, for me, I mean, you, you, you could find an adventure like that anywhere, but that's one of the ones that really sticks out for me as, Mm. you know, Tasmania really has a lot of that. You can you can pick a little road somewhere and go, I wonder where that goes, and end up at some little old lady's house for some tea and coffee and some And jams. you hear in the background, you hear the banjos playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... That, I mean, that, it's true though, isn't it? You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you poke into that dirt road and you find a yeah. whole different adventure to what Absolutely. you're planning on doing. And I mean, that's... That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. You know, getting out there and yeah. seeing and doing. Alrighty, folks. Thanks so much for listening to part one of Simon's adventures thus far. In the next episode, we go deeper into Simon's stories, all coming up soon. So make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're notified of the next episode. If you can't wait to hear more from us, why don't you head over to our Instagram page and click follow. That's where you get all your daily updates and developments from previous and future guests on Bikes, Burgers, Beers. And as always, our Patreon page is open and welcoming for anyone who'd love to contribute to the upkeep of your favourite motorcycling podcast. Contributions are small, but they make a huge difference to the show. Do you want to meet me and other guests who are content creators that have been on the show? Well, the second annual Content Creators Meetup is right around the corner. It's being held on the 27th of August, 2022, that's a Saturday, at Fuel in East Lynn down the south coast of New South Wales. All are welcome, it's free entry, and we hope to see you there. Well, folks, that's the end of another episode, but don't forget we join Simon again for part two in the next episode of Bikes, Burgers, Beers. I've been Big Steph, you've been awesome, and remember, to always keep it twisted.